why they want to send the message about the hospital things. You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Money Talk. Good morning. It is 8.03 in Hong Kong, and this is Money Talk. I'm Andrew Work, working for the man, Peter Lewis, until he is back on Monday. This is my second day in what is a hot, hot, hot seat this week as markets corrected from a sea of red and higher oil prices caused markets to whipsaw back in an opposite direction. Asian bourses followed the world down yesterday, but the Europeans broke the chain by roaring back, with the German bourse leading the way, posting massive gains. The war in the Ukraine continued with Russia making slow progress. The anti-Putin coalition sought to take measures to alleviate pain to their economies arising from their own sanctions. Oil-consuming countries reached into their reserves for relief, and prices fell. President Joe Biden issued an executive order on crypto last night. It was more of a call to think hard about the future of crypto as opposed to actual regulations. It outlined six areas to investigate and encouraged deep thought on consumer protection, systemic risk, and the future of a potential U.S. dollar central bank digital currency. But it wasn't inherently negative, and crypto's leading benchmark, Bitcoin, rose on the news. Are you holding Amazon stock? Get ready to hold a lot more as the company announces a 20 to 1 stock split. Or maybe you won't. There's also a $10 billion buyback program announced at the same time. Shares are up 10% of the news. Congratulations to the Amazonians. I want to hit some local notes. Cafe Pacific announced great news. They lost a mere 5.5 billion Hong Kong dollars last year. Actually, a dramatic improvement from losses almost four times that the year before. Cargo is strong and passenger traffic improves if still hardly back to normal levels. More Swire, they've sold off the last of their specialist offshore service vessels business, Swire Pacific Offshore, to Tidewater for 190 million US dollars, ending Swire's 47 year run at the helm of that firm. And this might slip under your radar if you weren't consistent and savvy money talkers. Hong Kong has formally applied to join the RCEP trade agreement. The massive Asia, Asia Pacific free-ish trade agreement is ASEAN plus Australia, China, Japan, and more. How did we not get in on the first round? I guess better late than never if Hong Kong is accepted. And the big news from Korea, uh, as right-wing candidate Yun Suk-yeol wins a squeaker in the presidential election. Later in the show, we'll have our first view from Korea in quite some time with Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities, telling us what is what from the Blue House in Seoul. After the market update, we have Money Talk stalwart and personal wealth advisor Enzio Von Fyle, who will joust with Kenny Wen, Wealth Management Strategist at Everbright Securities International on the events shaping our lives. Be sure to follow our Facebook page. It is Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, except no other Money Talk. Follow our updates on Twitter at Money Talk Radio 3. So strap on your guitar, get your best pick, picking finger going. We're rocking and rolling on Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Markets on Money Talk. And if you thought Asian stocks were leading Europe and the U.S. yesterday, you would have been exactly wrong. While Asia's Wednesday markets followed Tuesday's sell-off, European bourses led a dramatic recovery that saw the Americans trail up in their wake. In the U.S., the VIX dropped almost 8%, indicating a big reduction of uncertainty and volatility in the market. The markets picked up on that and climbed up, up, up. The Dow was up 2%. The S&P 500, 2.6%. And the NASDAQ was the star, recovering earlier losses to rise 3.6% yesterday. 
Drug maker Moderna was up 10.2%, even as it announced that it would not enforce patents for its COVID virus in the middle and low income countries. Hooking up is hot too. With Match Group, yes, that's Tinder, Match.com, plenty of fish. So Match Group was up almost 13%, making it the top performer on the best performing stock exchange. Trending with the NASDAQ, the TSX was up 1.23%. Drops in oil and gold were overtaken by advances in tech and consumer discretionary stocks that led the TMX index on its upward trend. But it was Europe that was scorching hot yesterday. The pan-European stock 600 index closed up 4.7%, led by auto stocks, which were up 9.5%. Oil and gas companies fell with the price of oil which dropped a massive 12% to hit $111 for Brent crude, off an earlier high of $139 on Monday. In other European bourses, the FTSE 100 was a relatively weak gainer, with its still excellent 3.25% rise, trailing the stock 600. The FTSE MIB in Italy rose almost 7%. The CAC beat a 7% rise, while the DAX rose almost 8% in daily trading. It was a good day to bet on Germany. Clearly, Asia was the last car on this roller coaster, still following Tuesday's downward trajectory. The Nikkei rose and then fell to finish losing 0.3%, hitting a new 52-week low as transport, automotives, and textiles led the descent. In Seoul, the Kospi fell 1.1% as presidential votes were still being counted. We'll be checking in with what the future holds for Korea in our View from Korea later in the show. The Hang Seng Index closed down 0.67% yesterday, actually the star performer in China, as the Shanghai and Shenzhen composites, uh, composites each fell 1.1%. But Singapore outshone all Asia, rising 1.5%, with banks UOB and DBS leading the way with gains over 3.3%, and OCBC not far behind. Looking at commodities, we've already noted the big oil drop-off. Uh, Arbob gas also dropped 10%, which should provide some relief to drivers out there soon. Natural gas almost held its ground, only dropping a wee 0.3%. The high rising metals of yesterday saw gains clawed back as gold, silver, copper, and palladium all hit the skids. Platinum was the worst of all, dropping over 4.5%, followed by silver losing 3.4%, copper 2.7%, gold 2.3%, and palladium, yesterday's biggest riser, only gave back 1.5% yesterday. In bonds, the US uh, 10 year treasury yield continued to rise, joined by the Bund 10 year. In currencies, the euro was a big gainer, up 1.5% against the U.S. dollar. Also edging higher against the greenback was the British pound, the Canadian loony, and the Swiss franc. While on the other side of the pond, the U.S. dollar moves lower against the Japanese yen, Chinese yuan, Aussie, and Kiwi dollars. In crypto, the big Biden executive order moved markets with Bitcoin zooming up almost 9% to crest $41,000, with Ethereum right behind it rising 5.2%. Yesterday's top performer, Terra's Luna, continued to rise, picking up another 16% in 24-hour trading. Since Monday, it has climbed from $77 to over $104 at its height. It's a stablecoin system that seems to be capitalizing on concerns about capital flows at the expense of Ripple, a previous leader in this area. Down under, the markets are open and the Australian stock market is trending up. Looking to Hong Kong. Uh, following up on Europe's big day out, the Hang Seng Futures Index is trending up 1.6%. So do your best out there today, Hong Kongers. Those are the markets. And now it's time to get to our guests here at Money Talk. Money Talk on 
All right, and here we go here on Money Talk. Crazy days in the markets. We're lucky we've got Enzio Von File, personal wealth advisor and uh, stalwart of the show, joining us. Enzio, good morning. Morning to you, Andrew. Hey, we've also got Kenny Wen, wealth management strategist at Everbright Securities International. Kenny. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, guys, what a crazy week, uh, crazy time that we're living through. Um, you know, rather than getting into individual stocks and all that, I really want to look at the big picture uh, commodities everybody's talking about this week. Enzio, what's, I mean, how, how do we ride this roller coaster? How do we think about this? Well, you keep buying commodities, frankly, because that's got to be that and China are the two stories that I firmly believe in going forward because there's a structural shortage of commodities. For instance, there's a lot of hoo-ha being made about the U.S. banning imports of oil from from Russia. Well, according to today's FT, it's not as much the imports of oil that is a problem. It's that they're getting less, that they need more, the Americans need more feedstock because their shale production needs a different type of oil. I'm not an expert, obviously, on that. So um, you're going to find a structural rise in commodity prices going forward, also because COVID stays, and that means that the demand for goods as opposed to services stays, and that again drives up commodity prices, and of course also then everything related to that, like the logicals, yeah. like the logistics. Gotcha. Kenny, Kenny what's, your, what's your take on that? Uh, nowadays, everyone talking about commodities, because uh, as we all know, uh, investors are concerned about what happening in Russia and Ukraine. And uh, Russia is the major supplier of different commodities, so the commodity prices go up. And also I think uh, many people ask me that uh, will a geopolitical issue affect, have a long-lasting impact on, on equities. My answer is whether it drives us Drive the oil prices because if the oil prices go up, then it's not only a it's not only a sentiment changes. It will have a uh, uh, impact on the global economy, inflation, and also corporate earnings. So, everyone looking at the um, uh, commodity, especially oil, oil and uh, and gold, and I do think that uh, for very short term, it's highly uncertain. But anyway, I told my customer that. Uh, for oil, uh, gold, you can keep it, but don't buy it. Uh, don't 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 chase the rally because it's too risky. And in short term, they can be uh, very volatile. And yesterday, uh, more than ten percent movement on oil prices proved uh, my comments. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was running the Canadian Chamber of Commerce in, in 2008, 2009, 2010 when there was a big financial crisis, and Canada and Australia were flying high because there was a commodities boom. But I mean, that doesn't seem to be manifesting itself yet in in, in places like Canada, Australia, and their stock markets and the price of oil uh, companies. What what is going on there? Why is that not happening this time? Because we're we're moving straight into stagflation, which means lower growth and higher inflation. Indeed, in today's Financial Times, we read that the five-year forward rate for inflation, in other words, how high is inflation going to be in five years, is at 2.5 percent. That's a seven-year high, eight-year high. And that, again, ties in with my long-held view that the global inflation story is cost-push. It is not just this knitting needle stuff of the Fed, the demand-pull inflation that they keep on working on about with, with their tightening of monetary policies, cost-push, and that's going to stay for a long, long time. Mm, I mean, central bankers thought they had inflation beat and were starting to worry about job creation and all these other things. How are they going to react now that inflation is, is back with a vengeance? 
Well, they will continue working on this, sadly, on, on being biopic and just thinking that all inflation is demand pull. In fact, a lot of it is cost push. And so if you're applying demand pull um, remedies to cost push problems, it's like trying to repair a Rolls Royce with knitting needles. It just cannot work by definition. And that's going to keep the inflation going up for a long time, the cost push inflation. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And you want to add anything to that, Kenny? Do you, do you have any kind of views on specific central banks and how they might refer to it, whether it's the U.S. Uh, Fed or PBOC? Yeah. Before talking central banks, I want to add one more point on oil prices. Because uh, even though I said uh, for very short term, it's highly uncertain because it's driven by uh, the development uh, for, uh, from the uh, Russia-Ukraine issue, that even uh, the, the oil price may drop down uh, or even though we see improvement in the geopolitical issue. But I think uh, within this year, we'll, we will see another rally uh, on the oil prices, not driven by the um, uh, 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 driven by the uh, economic pickup. Pick so I think I'm not bearish on oil prices, even though they will highly uh, volatile in short term. Uh, in, in regarding central bank, I do agree that uh, uh, for the uh, U.S. I think they may increase interest rate for 25 basis points and they will increase the interest rate gradually because, uh, as mentioned by uh, NGL, uh the, the, the inflation is not only driven by uh, the quantitative easing, it's also driven by uh, what we call uh, the shortage in the supply chain. So by rising interest rate cannot solve all the problems. But anyway, uh, I think they will start raising interest rate uh, on, on March. But I think the key point is, uh, from the historical data, uh, the impact of rising interest rate is not so significant. But on the other hand, we will keep our close eyes on when they will reduce their balance sheet. Usually, when they reduce balance sheet, that means the liquidity is uh, slowing down. Then usually we have a larger impact on equity markets. Mm, and I mean, equity markets, do you, do you have specific views on, on which, any, which, which are going to be more impacted by these changes than others? I mean, they're all they're all whipsawing all over the place right now. But if you can give us a longer kind of medium term, oh. I, I think the U.S. will be uh, uh, having a, a larger impact because, especially after the geopolitical issue, uh, we use we refer to historical data. Uh, if you, if the equity market wants to recover from the uh, geopolitical issue, it usually leads to retirement. First of all, is a relatively accommodative monetary policy and also a relatively strong economic backdrop. But for, for the coming few months, you can, you can see that U.S. do not have this type of uh, advantage. But on the other hand, uh, in, in China, you can see that they already announced the GDP target is 5.5. It's relatively aggressive. And I think they will boost up the economy through physical as well as uh, monetary policy. So I think uh, in six months or 12 months, uh, relatively, I think the mainland Asia can outperform U.S. stocks. Yeah. Hey, so Enzio, you know, Kenny says that that 5.5% target the Chinese yes. government said is, is fairly aggressive, but I mean, it's the lowest they've picked of uh, for years and years and years, maybe ever. Um, what, what's your take on, on China generally? Well, I'm, I remain optimistic, and just to build on what Kenny was saying, the economic time in America is going to worsen because they are—they think it's growing too strongly, so they want to 
cut the money supply. They want to increase the interest rates in China. It's totally the opposite, especially ahead of the National Party Congress this November, I believe. They want to October, it doesn't matter, later this year, that they want to actually increase growth. Now, the 5.5, let's not get too hung up on this false precision of the digit bashing department. What we're, what, what I mean by this is that the bigger an economy is, Remember, it used to be the size of Sudan's back in, in Deng Xiaoping's day. The bigger that the economy is, the tougher it is for it to grow faster and faster because you're just working off a larger base. It's called the, we call it the base effect. To grow from, to grow by 10 from a base of 1 is tenfold. To grow by 10 from a base of 100 is 1%. So that's what I mean by, by the base effect. So it's more about the job creation in China, the structural changes which they are making in China much more holistically than in America. So I'm, a, I'm an optimist on China and rather pessimistic, especially with stagflation in America, will come through. That means margin erosion earnings downgrades. I mean, that number is, you know, the, you're talking about the base effects of maybe 5.5% isn't you know so unreasonable, but is it going to be enough? Uh, in particular, people talk about concerns that it's not going to be enough to create jobs for people coming out of universities. And the last thing you want is overeducated, underemployed population. Uh, is, is it going to be enough to keep... The number is, is too broad to, to answer it with just a simple number, as you well know, Andrew. I would say that it depends on the structural changes if they decide to go more tech. They're going to have 10 million graduates this year coming out. That's, that's larger than the population of Hong Kong, by the way, by a big <laughs> factor of about 2.5 million more mm -hmm. than live in Hong Kong. So, yes, there is an issue there, but if they were to, for instance, loosen up the household registration system, if they were to... Which they are, I'm sure, working more on tech innovation, things of this nature, more holistic planning, then I think you will, in fact, find that they can absorb these these um, graduates. Okay, guys, we've just got a quick minute here before we uh, head off to Korea, but uh, is there something we're missing? Is there something that everybody's overlooked that's not in the headlines? Do either one of you have uh, something you want well, to get in? My, my, keep, my key gripe is that the central banks keep on applying the same tool to different illnesses, and I'm afraid that that's going going to be bad. We're also the other thing that I, I would say is that we've got a confluence of things driving volatility, invisible trading through algorithms, war, obviously, mm. supply shortages, change demand patterns, more, more demand for goods, and then, of course, the changes in economic times. So the volatility is here to stay. And the sadly, the inept central bank policy, the myopic central bank policy is also here to stay, I'm afraid. OK, uh, I'm going to have to go back and revisit my friend Brian Brown's book, Chasing the Same Signals, about algorithmic trading, apparently. Kenny, last word. Have you got a quick one for us? Yeah, I, I would like to share that we also keep a close eye on the pandemic issue because globally the situation is improving. So it should be good for the oil prices, for the oil demand. But on the other hand, you know, in Hong Kong, sadly speaking, it's getting worse. So it's not good for the Hong Kong equity market. So I think uh, the pandemic development will have a lot of implication on the asset market. All right. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Thank you once again to Enzio Von File, Personal Wealth Advisors and Money Talk regular, uh, along with Kenny Wen, who's uh, here quite frequently, a wealth management strategist at Everbright Securities. This is Money Talk. All right, and here we go on Money Talk. We now cast our gaze to South Korea, where they've just had an exciting election that went right down to the wire. And we're going to have Peter Kim, 
the managing director and investment strategist at KB Securities, to tell us what is going on. Peter Kim, how are you doing? Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Good morning. We have a winner. For That's the present, right. um, tell us about him. Uh, well, um, going into the election day, it was supposed to be a comfortable win for the opposition right-wing candidate. But uh, um, as uh, always seems to be nowadays, that the the populism and the working class uh, were the sleepers that came out on election day. Uh, but nonetheless, for investors uh, and for the financial markets, the uh, the ultimate winner. Uh, the president in waiting uh, should be uh, uh, quite positive uh, from an investment standpoint. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, the, the markets seem to think so. I noticed the Cosby just opened up and is, is already uh, trending upwards. But w- what is it about this new president that, you know, would, would make people think that it's going to be good for the, the economic state of the country? You know, the locals here uh, consider this election to be the best of the worst rather than a candidate that really becomes compelling. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I think that's a reflection of, uh, uh, for the past five years, of President Moon's term, uh, where much as well-intentioned, a lot of the policies were uh, uh, quite uh, misformulated. Uh, and uh, we've had a lot of side effects, like the uh, bubbly property market, um, uh, unemployment has been rising, Obviously, with the help from COVID, a lot of these cannot be faulted entirely to the government. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, uh, the Koreans uh, decided that a change was needed uh, and, and hope for the best. Okay. Now, um, I had one of my one of my, my friends from the Line Arc Institute send me a note that, okay, the new president is not an economist. Uh, he was a prosecutor. The, the, head, the head prosecutor for the entire country, Priya, but his father was an economist, and apparently he must have picked something up sitting on his father's knee because apparently he's a fan of Ludwig von Mises, Friedrich Hayek, uh, which suggests something about how, where he's going to sit on free trade, on government spending. Can you, can you give us a sense of where he sits on those, those two issues? No. So, yeah, uh, I think uh, the, he brings uh, a lot of hope uh, and maybe even some reform uh, agenda uh, to the government. Um, he's uh, been very open uh, about his uh, belief in the market system, uh, unlike the previous government where they were uh, massively into uh, uh, hands-on management of the economy. Uh, he really does believe in the uh, market uh, uh, framework, uh, and that includes trade. Uh, and, and I believe that the, uh, the biggest shift that we will see uh, during this uh, term uh, will be um, uh, the previous uh, government veering towards North Korea, China on foreign uh, relations mm-hmm. uh, to the coming government, which will be more U.S. and market-driven. Uh, and on the front of the, uh, the overall uh, uh, policies, I do expect a lot more um, uh, market-driven reform, uh, pro-big chaebols, uh, 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 the conglomerates, uh, we'll be able to maybe flourish after uh, five years of uh, pretty intense scrutiny. And, uh, and I think uh, uh, the investors are uh, probably uh, hoping uh, that uh, uh, the, uh, South Korea will uh, start to really uh, look at uh, uh, innovation, free market, 
uh, and growth-driven policies. Okay, but these Chable, when you say they were under scrutiny, was was not some of that scrutiny coming from this new president as the lead prosecutor? Was he was he, you know, kind of hunting people down on, on corruption issues? Yeah, so you know, it's an interesting uh, dilemma. Um, uh, the on one side, the new president is an outsider. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't owe any politicians or factions, uh, uh, you know, decades of uh, uh, debt and favors. Uh, but on the other hand, he's inexperienced. Uh, he will have to uh, uh, really work hard in building a consensus and really work through what is a, a fairly divided country, as you can see from the a mar- narrow margin of the election result. Uh, so his challenge will be to uh, learn new tricks as a politician pretty quickly. As far as his uh, history as a lead prosecutor for Chevold, I mean, you know, you and I have a job to do, and his job back then was to really try to even the playing field uh, amongst the uh, the Chevold's uh, uh, overpowering influence on the economy uh, versus uh, the, the common people. Uh, I believe that uh, um, part of his big challenge will be to balance the two, uh, but Ultimately, uh, South Korea really relies on uh, the big corporations to drive its uh, macro and export uh, growth. And I think uh, the the pragmatist that we hope he will be uh, will um, uh, cater to the needs of the the country uh, for the long term. So, and you and you think that includes big business? I know he was, you know, as as you have to do these days. He did talk about measures to improve the conditions for small and medium sized enterprises. Uh, and I guess the other big thing was housing, right? Uh, should we expect to see improvements in those sectors of the economy, whether it's SMEs or or the construction and housing sector? Yeah, I think uh, when I mentioned earlier about uh, some uh, uh, well intentioned but misformulated policies, is absolutely. Uh, referring to the property market, rather than allow the uh, supply and demand to find its own equilibrium. Uh, The previous government has been uh, hands-on clamping down on the mid to high end. Uh, And and through that, they've actually choked uh, supply of apartments coming into the market. Uh, So my uh, hope is that uh, supply and demand be allowed to find this equilibrium. Uh, and allow the, the market prices to find its way uh, in, find, uh, in correcting the inefficiencies. And uh, in the short term, they may lead to uh, 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 continuing rising prices in certain areas, but over the long term, uh, you should uh, uh, allow a much more balanced supply-demand dynamic. Okay, we got a couple of minutes. I want to go high tech. Uh, Korea is a crypto leader. When I was doing stuff in the crypto and blockchain world, I was going there for conferences. It's a real hotspot. Does the new president have any views on that, or is he given any indication of where he thinks that sector should be going? So yeah, so he continues to play the uh, the free market uh, proponent, mm-hmm. uh, and I think um, you know the, whether it's cryptos or the online platform that supposedly uh, destroys working class jobs. Um, I expect that to be something that we'll uh, see uh, see through the uh, the investor psyche, um, and I hope that uh, 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 he's relatively young, by the way. Uh, he's uh, about 60 years old. Okay. Uh, for Korean politicians, uh, that's uh, you know that's pretty fresh. Uh, so I hope that he will embrace the innovation because Korea's traditional industries like shipbuilding, machinery, autos. Uh, those are being uh, uh, outdated pretty quickly. Mm. So Korea, Korea, alongside new industries like K-pop, you know, the movies and uh, uh, or entertainment, 
we hope these new industries will uh, replace the uh, the uh, sunset Industrials. Uh, K-pop, I love it. Okay, so uh, there's one other thing I have to ask you yeah. about. I saw this article in the Wall Street Journal about how the presidential candidates created their own deep fake avatars that were out there campaigning for them online that were actually outperforming the candidates themselves. The computer-generated versions of them were actually getting better response from people than the actual candidates. Did you, did you pick up on this at all? Did you see these in, in, in the you know when you were online? I... I had a couple of friends and investors uh, point that out. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, the the real story behind this, I think, is that uh, uh, presidential elections is more of a personality over policy substance, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore uh, they really try to grab that uh, uh, new new uh, swing voters uh, that uh, that they have not reached out to before. So I guess it's like a, a hark back to the old uh, JFK era where he went on a bus and went on a tour, which was first for uh, politicians, right? So it's quite experimental. I find it refreshing, uh, but also it does point to the fact that uh, uh, Korean politicians themselves are, uh, you know, uh, they do like a little bit of uh, edge yep. uh, in terms of uh, uh, their, uh, you know, persona. They're keeping uh, so, up with the times. Um, I guess let somebody else do the job. I guess so. I hope my okay. wife doesn't find out about that. I'm sure she'd prefer a computer-generated better version of myself. Thank you very much. Peter Kim, Managing Director and cons- uh, Investment Strategist at KB Securities. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. All right, a quick market update before I get out of here. The Australian stock exchange is up. The Cosby seems to like the new president. It's up as well, as is the Nikkei. Stay tuned right here for Back Chat, kicking off after the news uh, with the Hong Kong COVID update and then more analysis with Jim Gould and Paul Zimmerman. And their special guest today, your weather is fine and dry. The temperature is 19 degrees Celsius, humidity 64%. High today is going to be 24 degrees. The time is 8.32, and now the news with Andrew Chorofsky. The Center for Health Protection says 195 people with COVID died over the last 24-hour reporting period, a new record. The latest fatalities were announced yesterday as Hong Kong recorded over 58,000 new coronavirus cases. Just over half of them were reported via an online platform for home tests that went live on Monday. On Tuesday, University of Hong Kong researchers said their modeling indicated infections for this wave had already peaked four days earlier. But the center's Albert Au says it's too early to say. The number of rapid antigen tests has not been counted into the cases previously. So we need to monitor closely for a few days to observe the real trend, including the rapid antigen test. Just purely judging from the number of PCR tests, we think that the increasing trend of cases has been stabilized and has reached a plateau level. But for the future trend, we still need to observe. South Korea's presidential election has been narrowly won by the conservative opposition leader Yoon Suk-yeol in one of the tightest races in the country's recent history. He beat the governing Democratic Party candidate Lee Jae-myung by less than one percentage point. The BBC's Laura Bicker reports from Seoul. 
Yoon Suk Yul only entered politics last year and rose to prominence for successfully prosecuting the former Conservative President Park Geun-hye on bribery and corruption charges. His victory marks the end of a bitterly divided contest with his liberal rival. He's pledged to abolish the Ministry of Gender Equality and blamed the rise of feminism for the country's low birth rate. Mr Yoon is also more hawkish on foreign policy than the current leader Moon Jae-in. Ukraine has accused Russia of bombing a maternity and children's hospital in the besieged city of Mariupol. President Volodymyr Zelensky called it an atrocity. The regional governor said 17 people had been hurt. The numbers have not been independently confirmed. Video footage showed, showed a building which had been reduced to a shell. Mariupol's deputy mayor, Sergei Olov, said that nearly 1,200 civilians have been killed there since Russia began its bombardment. He expressed shock at the latest out- attack. We don't understand how it's possible in modern life to bomb children's hospital. People cannot believe that it's true and it could happen in our peaceful city. They 